Okay, Speed City fans, I'm delighted to welcome back to Speed City Alexander Rossi, of course, who we are following on the road to Austin, the USA's only Formula One driver right now and headed for the first time back home to race here in the United States at the Circuit of the Americas. And Alexander, when we last spoke, uh, you were headed off to Russia uh, to try to sort of um, pin back um, the GP2 championship and see if you could keep it alive. You did one heck of a job and you won your third race win uh, this year. First of all, let's start there because obviously a big weekend in Russia. Yeah, no, it, it was a it was a very big weekend. Um, I think there was a lot of people that had their doubts about me coming um, out of two Grand Prix and and kind of making the transition back to GP two. So to get a win in, on Saturday, um, the perfect the perfect way to to prove that kind of theory wrong. And I think. Um, it was it was a good very good result for us. Obviously, it, it hurt a little bit that the race was shortened because um, we only got half points, which had a slight impact in the in the championship. Um, but anyways, it was it was only delaying the inevitable. Um, Stoffel was was always going to win the championship. We were just trying to delay it as long as possible. Um, so when he won on Sunday, it was really no surprise. Um, and I think the only thing I was a little bit disappointed about was half point points on the Saturday. Well, you got to feel good after what three wins and three weekends in GP two. So, but I have a question for you about the difference about racing between GP two and Formula One. You know, I, I realize that right now in Formula One you're racing against your teammate, but the but the cars are so different with the broad flat torque curve of the hybrid in Formula One, with the traditional engine in GP two. I mean, obviously you've done a great job because you've done great in both. How do you manage that? How, that doesn't it? It seems like they're so different. Um, they are different, but at the end of the day, I mean, GP2 is the closest car that you can you can drive um, to an F1 car, and that's why it's the the premier feeder series is, is they make it as close as they can. Obviously, you know, with the hybrid technology, there is a, a bigger step than there used to be, um, but still, the the biggest thing for drivers to adapt to is the tires, um, and because GP2 runs on the same tire as, as Formula One, that takes a big kind of um, part of the, the equation out of it and, and it makes it a lot easier for drivers to transition. Um, so for me, the biggest switch is just mentally. Um, and so that was why it was very important for me to go to Spain um, to, to be with my GP2 team after Suzuka, um, to not only be in the sim, but to kind of just completely forget about F1. And, and that's what I did for the, the week leading up to Russia and all through the, the Russian Grand Prix. I, I didn't really pay attention to F1, and, and I was just focused on the job that I needed to do in GP2. I always try to draw analogies with what GP2 is, because a lot of Americans still are unfamiliar with that series, simply because it doesn't race here. Uh, and and I, I, I kind of my analogy from what you've just achieved is, you know, you, you're like a lot of quarterbacks in the draft for the NFL. Uh, and if you like, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn has, has won the Heisman, and you were runner-up effectively, I in the championship so what I'm getting at is that you now go into that draft of potential Formula 1 drivers although you're effectively playing in the league um, but there's no guarantees it's a, it's a constant week on week kind of assessment uh, and again you're still in the running as is he now uh, and several other drivers of course but um, it really is a constant assessment isn't it? No for sure I mean you're, you're only as good as your last race um, and, and I'm fully aware of that and Every time you get in the car, you kind of have to reprove yourself until you're at the level of a Lewis Hamilton or, or Fernando Alonso. You every single time that you drive, you have to kind of redeem yourself, and it's a very high pressure environment. But it's what we we've all kind of experienced all the way through the 
the motorsport ladder and, and that's just the way the sport works so it's very cutthroat and, it, and it's very difficult sometimes but um yeah at the end you you can do you just have to do the best job that you can and, and maximize those on-track opportunities um and obviously to to come away second in gp2 is um is a, is a good good accomplishment i mean it's by far the best year that i've had in europe um since coming over here and while i i always want to win and i always have the intention of winning a championship um you know i'm i can say that i'm fairly content um to, to finish second if, if we can manage that this year well you said well ago that you were having to put f1 aside and forget about it to focus on gp2 now that you've won the race and the next thing up for you is formula one you've got to just be over the top excited you you now focus on f1 and you're coming to the united states how, how do you feel about all that <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled. Really, um, I can't wait. I can't wait to get to Austin. I can't wait to be there and and just um, enjoy every moment of it. Uh, now I'm, I'm just going to do the opposite of what I did prior to Russia. Just completely forget about GP2 and and um, kind of review everything that that I picked up in, in Singapore and Japan and, and carry that forward into into Friday in Austin. Um, I think our main target in, initially is to have a smooth Friday which is not something that we've had so far. Um, so I think with, with a solid Friday and, and, and maximizing our on-track running, um, we'll be in a good position to have a great weekend. Obviously, you're watching, as we are, uh, this whole Formula One scene unfold, and we're thinking of you as you are obviously thinking about your own future. But uh, it is an interesting time. I think back to our, you know, when you were here last year, and we were saying that the driver market was a tough one to be in because there wasn't many places. And when you look at what Red Bull is doing, um, or not doing, so to speak, uh, and the four drivers that are out there potentially looking for, 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 for jobs next year, yourself, obviously, there at Manor, they've just got Mercedes engines but that has its own kind of connotations at least in the press anyway um, in terms of what Mercedes might want to bring to manor and so on so it's still as volatile and again I'm trying to make people understand that um, you know it's one thing to be in that seat but like you say you're constantly looking ahead uh, and, 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 and these few races regardless of the points your job in Austin and Brazil and Mexico, you know, is is very much a case of con- continuing this this vein that you started in Japan and, and Singapore. No, hundred percent. I mean, I have to make a statement in in these next three rounds, and, and I realize the importance of them. Um, you know, when I signed up to to do both, you know, finish out the Formula One season um, and GP two, I knew that that I would have. Um, or what is it, eight weekends to, to really make an impact, um, three in GP2 and, and five in F1. And, and I think we've done a good job in the, in the first three, um, but we have to keep that going forward because, as you say, it is a massively volatile uh, driver market at the moment. And um, assuming that, that everything gets worked out at, at Red Bull and Toro Rosso, I mean, that still only leaves probably two or three seats available. Um, and we all know how many drivers are, are wanting to get into Formula One and and have the capabilities to be there. So it's it's very intense, it's very competitive, but I'm in a fortunate position um, that I haven't been in before to where I can actually, you know, make my point um, on track in an F1 car, whereas I could never do that before because the opportunity was never there to actually drive. Um, and I was always having to try and sell myself based on what I believed I could do and, and what others believed I could do, but there was never actually the, the on-track performances to back it up. Um, so we have that 
a, a little bit right now. But as I said, I mean, we, we have to keep going for the next uh, five weekends. So you say you've got to make an impact in these last three races in Formula One. Obviously, finishing ahead of your teammate, number one, having a good, clean race. Uh, are there any other, maybe behind the scenes, or, or any, what other things are, are going to uh, make an impact, make you stand out after this season? Um, well, I mean, being successful in Formula One is, is about a lot more than, than just driving quickly. Um, so obviously the on-track, for me, it's, it's a little bit easier than maybe other drivers on the grid because I only have to really race against one car. Um, but at the same time, I, I have to make a very big impression outside the car with the team and the engineers and and my ability to, to kind of adapt. Um, you know, it's I was thrown in the deep end a little bit, and I showed that I could pick things up quickly, but in my kind of personal review of how the two weekends went, um, there was quite a bit of room for improvement. So I think that if I'm able to, to maximize the areas where I felt a little bit deficient in, um, in Singapore and Japan, then I think the, the difference between my teammate um, will be even bigger. And I think that, that needs to be the target, is to kind of make the gap as big as possible between him and I. Um, and that'll do most of, most of the talking. I just want to get an insight into the team that you're with, Manor uh, Team, because I, I know the background from their Formula 3 days, and obviously now they're a bit, uh, you know, in Formula 1, but they, they so punch above their weight in terms of the comparison to some of the bigger teams, uh, you know, the Force Indies of this world and so on, in terms of budget. Um, just give me an insight into how impressed, if you like, uh, if you are, uh, about how they go about their racing. The thing that's always impressed me the most about about Manor um, since I started working with them uh, in the second half of last year was their their racers. Um, the management all, all were involved in motorsports. Some of them raced themselves. Um, everyone is really just truly passionate about the sport, and, and that trickles down uh, down to everyone. And that's a big difference than some of these teams where they're being managed by, by businessmen, which makes sense in, in its own kind of regard. But in terms of a driver's perspective and the feeling that you get, um, driving at Manor is, is an amazing thing because everyone is there just to race and, and to do the best job that they can, and, and they're pushing forward each weekend. And the desire to be on the Formula 1 grid, um, I think, is, is higher than any team that, that's currently there based on what they went through. Um in the off season leading into this year and, and how they kind of came back from, from nowhere and, and are on the grid. And when you consider the fact that we're running a car that was kind of developed and built in at the end of 2013 and that, you know, we are still firmly within 107% of, of the quickest cars and we're finishing races with both cars. Um, it's a testament to the job that they do. And I think that they're very well deserved of the Mercedes um, power units for next year. And, That'll be a, a massive time time gain gain for them. Um, you know, I think it'll be just right off the bat. Um, the car will be fifty percent quicker than it already is, um, and and that's a testament to the work and the effort that they put in to, to be on the grid this year. Does that therefore give you more sort of hope that if you can stay with this team, you can actually progress with them rather than just as any driver is just trying to tout himself as being 
yeah, capable. I mean, you know, like you say, there may be three drives uh, around. Uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a Lotus drive around. There's a possible Red Bull drive around. There's all sorts uh, of computations, but it does seem exciting, and you've just stated it, a 50% increase for MANA with you as a proven driver for them and obviously with a good relationship. That bodes well. Um, and it sounds to me, or everything I've read, is that this Mercedes engine will be a customer engine of the same year and the same caliber, if you will. It won't be the factory Mercedes engine, of course, but at the same time, it will be. It will put you into a challenge against the Red Bulls and the well against at least the Sahara Force Indias, who are obviously um, now getting podiums. Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that it, what you have to keep in perspective is the fact that everyone else is going to develop a lot this winter as well. Um, so while we'll make a big step forward, that's that's comparative to. Um, the cars, the, the 2015 cars. Um, no one's going to stand still going into 2016. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, get put the cart too far ahead of the horse in terms of immediately getting results. But I think that for sure it, it makes the team, um, you know, it, it puts them more on the map in terms of, of competitiveness. Um, but I don't think that you know they'll be they'll be there um, right from the get go just because there's a lot that that the team's still doing in terms of rebuilding and. It's a long process. Um, however, they they obviously have more than um, enough credible people running the team and, and talented people. And John Booth has has been around, as you said, in, in F three and Formula Renault for for a very long time, and he definitely knows how to run a race team. So I think that you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, um, in the long term, the team will be a fantastic team. Um, but but everything in Formula One takes some time, and with everything, it takes a, quite a bit of money. Um, and I think that. As, as that grows and develops, um, the team will definitely progress. Alexander, obviously, um, we're going to be, I mean, seeing you on the grid finally. Uh, obviously, we've, we've seen you. But I think a lot of the fans this year in the United States will will be excited to look down the sheet and go, right, there's there's an American, number 53, that's the guy. So why don't, as people are coming to this perhaps a little bit new, why don't you refresh us? We know you. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your history and how you first and foremost, got into racing where f coming up, um, being growing up in Nevada, California, it's not the obvious place to start a Formula One interest. No, that's, that's very true. Um, I had a motorsport interest um, from, from a very young age. Uh, my father and I would go to the, the kart, um, champ car races in, in Laguna Seca from when I was really in a stroller. Um, and it was something that him and I shared a passion for and we'd go every year. And, um, we went for about five years um, before he took me to a, a three-day karting school um, when I was ten for for my for my birthday, and it was supposed to be kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go drive a go kart for three days. But it turned out to to be the start of a little bit more than that. And um, after that, we we went go kart racing, and I got into a race car um, when I was fourteen, and. And I think really the, the transition to Europe came after I won the Formula BMW um, World Championship in 2008 um, because it was the first time that an American had won that against uh, the best European and, and Asian drivers um, that had just come out of carts. It was really the, the big test um, to see who was you know, some of the bright talents coming out of, out of karting across, across the globe. Um, and the winner of that got a test in, in a Formula 1 car with BMW Sauber. And so that was really what put me on the map in terms of European motorsports. Um, so I went to Europe in 2009 
to go through the European uh, Junior Formula Ladder and to, to prove myself over in Europe and to develop the skills necessary to race in Europe. And um, yeah, I've driven I've driven for for two different Formula One teams. Um, I was with Caterham for for almost three years, and they had quite a big role in my career. And then I was with Manor um, Russia at the end of 2014, and have obviously come back with them uh, towards the the latter part of, of 2015. Just want to take you back that Formula BMW. Obviously, that's a, a, a if you like a first step out of karting. It's a it's a it's a slicks and wings, but it's a very basic car. I've driven the car myself, and so even a mere mortal can drive that car. Uh, and I'm not even trying to compare, but I know that it's 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 you know it's a user friendly car. But I'm just looking at that, like you say, the, the the jump from that Sauber test. What was that like to jump from a Formula BMW car into a, a bona fide Formula One car? Um, it, it, it was, it was a year after I had won the Formula BMW championship. So I, I made sure that I did, uh, two days in a GP2 car prior, mm-hmm. uh, to the test, which obviously helped bridge the gap a little bit. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing that surprised me wasn't uh, the automatic, you know, braking and, um, the power that a lot of people immediately say impresses them the most. It was more just how well built the car was. And and how much confidence it gave you because you know in a lot of these spec kind of championship race cars they're all very quick. I mean a GP2 car is incredibly fast and it it has all the technology of an F1 car just on a more basic level. But because they're kind of mass produced, if you will, um, you know they're all they all have these little quirks and vibrations and they just are they're not perfect. Um, Whereas a Formula One car, I mean, it's obviously it's it's hand built, and there's there's only a couple of them per year, uh, so you can can immediately feel kind of the difference in just the overall quality and 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 the build quality of, of the car. Um, and I think that that is the the biggest thing that, that surprised me the most is everything just worked perfectly, and it felt as though you were you were almost driving on glass, um, whereas everything else kind of rattles you around and it's very bumpy. Whereas Formula One car is just um, it's a very smooth platform, and and in result, it gives you a you the driver uh, just a massive amount of confidence to to fire the car into the corner and, and know that it's gonna it's gonna stick. You know, you mentioned a minute ago about you know leaving the United States to go to Europe, and one of the things I wanted to ask you today was, are you going to have a bunch of family and friends here mm-hmm. in Austin? But then I think you know you you moved to Europe at a pretty young age. I mean, do you? Uh, did you, you? It's a big sacrifice. Is kind of what I'm getting at up towards friendships and things. But uh, it's really two questions there. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I obviously left high school at 16, so that, that kind of um, was a strange way to to go through my teenage years. I think. Um, but no, obviously, all my family is still in, in the states, um, and they'll be there. And um, a couple of my very close friends that, that I've kind of had as friends since I was a child, really, um, will be there. And and as you say, I mean, a lot of my friendships and relationships now are in are in Europe and, and in London, um, where I've been living for the past three years. So, um, but those people have have kind of been to races already this year in Europe and such. So, for me to be able to race at home um, is is even more special than than just racing at Silverstone, for example, which is kind of my second home race um, because you know it is my my immediate family will be there and. And uh, some of my best friends from from a long time ago. Well, speaking of Austin and all the different cars you've driven, I know you spent time on Circuit of 
But how much time and in what cars? Hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I drove um, Jim Clark's uh, 1967 Lotus 49. For, awesome. Which was pretty cool. Um, Not exactly so relevant for this weekend, but cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I drove a Corvette. Um, I drove a Mazda Miata. I've driven a Caterham 7, a tractor. <laughs> a tractor? And, and yeah, and the Caterham F1 car, um, which maybe was a tractor as well. <laughs> oh, tell, well, tell us about the tractor. <laughs> um, no, so when, I, when, the, when the track was being built, um, I went out and uh, kind of introduced myself to everyone, and, and I sat in a tractor and, and drove it a little bit. <laughs> And the catering, uh, the, the catering. But yeah, obviously the, the the closest thing that I'll have to um, kind of compare going into into this weekend is is the um, the catering F one car that I drove in twenty thirteen um, for practice practice on Friday morning. Um, and while obviously it's it's a very different power unit now, and, and the cars are different, uh, I mean it's still an F one car, so the reference points and and the cornering speeds will be more or less more or less the same. I got one question for you that's sort of off the wall a little bit, but you know we're we're about to see Lewis probably crown world champion here in Austin, and you know for somebody who gets the ultimate insight, it's great sitting in you know in the commentary box and watching you guys as I have for many years. But you know I'm never going to see the way what they do the way you see it, and you've been up close now for a few years watching the likes of Alonso and Hamilton and Rosberg. Um, you know, and I know you know these guys. Uh, what, if you like, has impressed you this year, whether it be a maneuver or a way he's gone about his work? And it doesn't have to be Lewis just because he's going to win the title. But is there something that you still think, you know what, I'll put that in my kind of mental, le- learn from that guy because he's doing that right? Um, well, I think the the big thing about Lewis is his single out pace. Um, and that's been that's been his kind of trademark for... For as long as he's been in F1, is his ultimate one lap pace. There's very few people that that can kind of be on par with him, um, even in similar equipment. Whereas, you know, Seb and, and Fernando and Jensen, they all get their their ability um, to win races from from their kind of just racecraft and their, their ultimate race pace. Um, and I think that you know, you always are in awe of Lewis and, and his qualifying performances. Um, I think, you know, a lot of drivers are, whether they admit it or not. Um, but I think that Lewis, his his ability to just enjoy the experience, um, you know, as much critique as, as he may get, I mean, he's still he's still winning races and, and he looks like he's going to win this championship. So, you know, he's found what works for him and, and he's he's made it he's made it public, but at the same time, he's had the confidence to, to know what, what works for him and, and the results are there. So I think that there's a lot of credibility to that because it's very easy in Formula One to be kind of in a bubble um, and and not really show your true self. And I think that Seb is a similar type of person and, and Fernando and Jensen as well. So I think all the world champions um, have figured out how to kind of really enjoy the experience and enjoy being a Formula One driver and, and maximize the time on track that they have by, by just really knowing what works for them. Um, you know, Sebastian obviously had a very successful run at Red Bull for, for an incredible amount of time. And um, when that started to come to an end, he, he had the, the ability to recognize that and, and switch teams. And now he's, you know, doing an incredible job in, in a Ferrari, in the Ferrari. Um, so I think it, it, what really surprises you is when you get up close and personal is the fact that they're all just loving it and, and loving life and, and loving 
the opportunity that they get every every other week to drive an F1 car. You know, Jonathan mentioned the analogy to becoming an NFL quarterback, but really this is a, a smaller and more elite group. Yes. You talk about all these names, and now you're driving. Do you do you just kind of look around the room occasionally and go, wow, this is amazing where, where I'm sitting now, and, and it's just... I'm being part of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, probably not as much as I should, to be honest. Um, you see him as you see him as just an, uh, another driver, and um, unfortunately, at the moment, they're not really another car to pass. But in the grand scheme of things, especially when you know you're in a race weekend environment, um, you kind of forget about who they are. You just see them as as other racing drivers. Um, I think you you realize it more when when you're away from the racetrack and, and you're doing things as part of an F1 group. Um, that's where you kind of realize, wow, I've actually gotten to this point that I've dreamed of since I was a kid. But believe it or not, at the track, you don't you're, you don't ever go into that space um, because you're so focused on, on just the job that you have to do and, and maximizing your own performance. 